And I do stand corrected. I need your forgiveness. But it was not a heavy or high-handed sin. I played the accordion in the second grade. I played the clarinet in the sixth grade. And for all practical purposes, you could not really call it playing an instrument. Looking at Moses... Beginning in chapter 4 this morning, but it's part of what's happened in chapter 3, so I want to remind you, in chapter 3, we began last week, Moses is, is tending his father-in-law's sheep, and the angel of the Lord comes down. It's none other than God himself in the form of a burning bush that's, that's not, not being consumed, and God has heard, God has remembered He'd seen, he knew the terrible situation, the circumstances of his people, so much so that he was coming down to meet with Moses and remind Moses and tell Moses that he was going to be the one that God chooses to deliver his people from Egypt, from sin, from slavery. Last week, Moses, in response to this news, he asked God two questions. He first asked the question, who am I, right? He's just a shepherd now. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. He's already tried to help a long time ago, and he failed. So he first asked God, who am I? The second question, he said, what if the people ask me, what's your name? Who are you? I think those were good questions, chapter 3. Good questions in less than a normal situation. But it's not over. We're moving into chapter 4, and Moses has some more questions. Or really, they're not questions. They're concerns he has. They're thoughts that he has. And he, he wants to share these thoughts with God. And we're going to see this exchange now in chapter 4 of Exodus, verses 1 through 18. So let's, if you would... Uh, Listen along as I read our passage this morning. Moses answered, but behold, they, meaning the people of Israel, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, or put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it, and it became, became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God said, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. 
And then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, for loving us even as you have loved Moses here, for loving your people even as you have loved us today. We ask your blessings on this sermon on your word. Open up our hearts that we would see, help us to see Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So you're learning a lot about me this morning. I don't believe I've ever told you about the way that I finally got the woman that I eventually married. I know I've told some of you individually, but I've never used this as a sermon illustration. And Josie, I'm sorry, I meant to ask you if I could share this, but I think it's okay. I'm going to be very selective in the details. There's much more to the story, and I promise you, if you ask Josie, she'd say that's not exactly the truth. It's the best I can remember. Here's the gist. I met Josie in my junior year at college, third year student, and uh, she was actually dating one of my roommates. His name was Scott. And Scott and I were friends, and as Josie and Scott dated, Josie and I became friends. We'd, we'd spend time together because she'd come over to the apartment, and we'd have, we'd have dinner together and, and, and play games, do different things that college students do. I don't, I don't know if it's the same today as it was then, but we had fun. We were friends, but I wasn't the guy, if you know what I mean. Scott and Josie, eventually, they broke up. And I became friends with Josie, and I, I wanted to ask her out, but I thought my roommate might still like her, and, and worse, I thought Josie might still like Scott, so I wasn't totally sure. Now, there were signs, signs that made me stop and think, hey, I, I think this girl might like me, right? And I was definitely trying to give her certain signs so that she thought, or she might think, that I would like her. But because I had doubts in my mind and she had doubts in her mind, it took over three and a half years before we ever figured out that we might like each other enough to get married. We needed a lot of reassurance along the way. We needed a lot of things that seemed to happen that, that we didn't have anything to do with it. 
that it occurred over that time that brought us together. It was reassurance along the way to, to help us figure out what our relationship was supposed to look like. And I want to suggest to you this morning that in our passage, God is calling Moses to be the deliverer of his people, and it's a really big deal. It's, it, it's bigger than getting married. And what's happening here with Moses and God, God has to get Moses to a place where he can come to understand what's going to happen, whether he can figure out all the details or not. He, he needs some reassurance in light of his reluctance. And God is so big, so amazing, so full of grace and love that Moses, in, in the end, he basically has, he just does what God wants him to do. He, he basically says, okay, if this is your plan, then we're going to go with it. You see, I almost titled the sermon, Growing in Grace, for several reasons. Growing in grace is really growing in the knowledge of who God is and, and how we relate to him. And you have to understand, Moses knows God. He, he's, he's come face to face with God and he hadn't died. But he has to continue to grow in his knowledge and realize the book of Exodus is really about God making himself known. That's what Exodus is all about. God is making himself known to Moses here. God is going to make himself known to the Egyptians and Pharaoh. God is making himself known to the Israelites and ultimately, God makes himself known in the book of Exodus to the whole world. God is continuing to reveal himself to Moses here specifically so that Moses can grow in his trust for God so that when God calls him to do some really hard things, he's going to be able to do it. But this is not just for Moses. This is also for the people who are listening to how God called Moses, the people that are, that are going to have to go into the promised land. So it should be really encouraging to them as they watch Moses interact or they hear Moses interacting with God. And even though Moses is reluctant, they see that Moses overcomes that reluctance and does exactly what God has called him to do. It should be encouraging to us. That in spite of our reluctance, in spite of our doubts, when we walk away from here this morning, I hope you know that you really can trust the God of Moses, the God of the Israelites, the God who sent Jesus Christ, and the God who is our God as well. Because he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's going to be the same tomorrow. We're really going to see two things this morning in this passage. It's, it's reluctance. And it's the reassurance or the response of God. And we're going to see Moses being reluctant with three things. Moses is reluctant with other people. Moses is reluctant about himself. And then, this is what gets him into trouble. Moses is reluctant about God. So we're going to go through those three areas and see where Moses comes out so that we can walk out of these doors not being reluctant about who our God is. First, define reluctance. I'm not thinking of an unwillingness. Moses is not really unwilling. We'll talk about that in a minute. He, he's not even disinclined to, to what God wants him to do. I, I'm thinking in terms of a hesitancy a wavering, an uncertainty. It's something that we experience 
each and every day of our lives. I, I know what I should do, but I don't know exactly how, how all the details are going to work out, so I'm, I'm just not certain. And I think we see Moses struggling some here, but he's not sharing these struggles with the people and with us this morning so we can simply feel comfortable with our own struggles. That's okay. It should be encouraging to know that even Moses, God's hand-picked deliverer of, of the, the Old Testament people of God, it should be reassuring to us that, that Moses is just a human being like me and you. But that's not the primary reason Moses is sharing this. He's sharing it so we won't struggle so much. There's an uncertainty with Moses about what God is calling, to, calling him to do. And we do need to understand that God is not calling us to do the same thing that Moses is being called here. Right? Moses is being called to go into battle with the most powerful, wicked, evil ruler of the known world at the time. We already have a Savior that's done that. We don't have to do that. And here's the, the great part of this story that the Israelites really would have understood. They know Moses won. They know Moses defeated Pharaoh. What an encouragement it should have been to them as they went into the promised land and, and tried really basically to extend the kingdom of God. Moses has three particular issues and God deals with them perfectly. We may have three particular issues here this morning, and God has dealt with them perfectly. These three particular issues, Moses first says, hey, they're not going to believe me. Now, I do think he, he, he's possibly talking about Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but he's primarily talking about the Israelites, his brothers and sisters, the guys that would go to church with him eventually. They're not going to believe me. He's reluctant with other people. The second problem that he has, he says, I'm not eloquent. He's reluctant with himself. And then thirdly, he says to God, there's probably somebody else that might be better. He's reluctant with God. We're going to go through these things very quickly this morning. First of all, reluctance with others. Moses says, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. Very similar to Moses' previous question in chapter 3, hey, what if the people ask me, what is your name? He's concerned here again about what other people will think and do. He's concerned about the others that he's supposed to lead. Verse 1, behold, they will not believe me. They won't listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And I don't think it's hard for us to understand where Moses is coming from there. If you go back and you read chapter 2, Moses looked upon the burdens of his people. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his brothers, one of the Israelites, and he tried to help. And the response to that attempt was, who made you prince and judge over us? And by the way, he's been in the desert 40 years. He's been tending his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. He basically is saying to God, hey, these people, this is great. He's basically saying to God, these people... They might be a problem. And you know what's fascinating? He's right. The people are part of the problem. And God doesn't seem to be worried about his people at all. 
Look at God's response. God answers Moses with three signs. Staff turns into a snake. His, his hand turns leprous, and then it's clean again. And he says, if those two don't work, we'll take some water from the Nile, the, the source of life in Egypt, and we'll turn it into blood. These are all miracles pointing to the power, God's divine power. Each have a specific thing addressed, and I think there are many things that we could try to cover and why God's using these signs, but, but I'm going to focus on just a couple of. First of all, the staff, particularly to Moses, the staff to a shepherd is very important. Everybody had a staff. It's a big deal. It's with him the rest of the way. It's the tool that Moses uses to do all that he's supposed to do, and God turns it into a serpent. Snake. In Egypt, snakes were associated with power. They were godlike figures. Pharaoh would, would have worn a, a, an image of a snake on his headdress. So, this staff that's turned into a snake, Alistair Roberts, a, a, a theologian, he says this Pharaoh, the serpent and destroyer of life, he may be frightening, but when Moses takes hold of him by the tail, Pharaoh will be hardened like a staff and then used by God to accomplish his purposes. Moses then says, or God says to Moses, put your hand into your cloak and it becomes diseased, unclean. He puts it back and just like that it's restored. In other words, God has the power to inflict and corrupt and God has the power to restore and clean. So the first sign, the snake the staff deals with external issues like Pharaoh, even the people, other snakes. The second sign deals with internal issues, problems with ourselves. And God says, if that's not enough, the primary source of life in Egypt, water in the Nile, I can make it into a river of death. So what God is doing here with Moses and with his, his concern about the others God is dealing with Moses, revealing himself, and, and he's saying to Moses, you're worried about Egypt and their power. You're worried about your weakness and your need. You're, Moses says, God, I'm going to take care of Pharaoh. He says, I'm going to take care of you, and I've got my people too. On a larger scale, these signs, these three things, it comes from a, a commentary that I read. The Lord has the power. This is what Moses need to hear. This is what God's people need to hear. This is what we need to hear. The Lord has the power to transform, to change us. The Lord has the power to renew, and the Lord has the power to conquer. In other words, God is saying again and again and again, I'm going to take care of Satan. I'm going to take care of sin, and I'm going to take care of death. What about our reluctance with the world? Now, Moses probably should have stopped there, but he he goes from the others and he looks back to himself and he's reluctant with himself again related to the first question, who am I? Verse 10, Moses says, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. You know, literally, it's a little bit confusing. Literally, it is, I have a heavy mouth and a heavy tongue, whatever that means. It's another way to express the question he asked before, who am I? And what's interesting, God gives a very similar answer to that first question, 
but he adds a little bit. Verse 11 and 12, God's response. He says, who made your mouth, Moses? What makes man mute, deaf, blind? Who makes man deaf, mute, and blind? Now he says, go, and this is what he says. I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to say. Because I am your creator, I control everything. He's basically saying again and again, I am. He's saying, I've come down in the form of a burning bush that is not consumed. I can handle any problems that you have or maybe simply think that you have. Again, God is not really worried about the gifts that Moses has or doesn't have. And I do believe he's gifted. I I also believe that he's exaggerating his problems with the way he's able to speak. Because if you go read the rest of Exodus, Moses is talking all the time and he's doing an adequate job of it. It's not about how well Moses speaks or doesn't speak. It doesn't matter whether his mouth or his tongue is heavy. God says, I will handle it because I am. You know, this is... This is something that's really important for us, I think, as a church and as Christians. <clears throat> Maybe even those who, who are sitting in a place where they just don't think they have what it takes to be a Christian. It's so easy to think that everything depends on us and our gifts and abilities. We get worried or concerned that we might do it well. You know, we had a we had an officer's retreat. I think some of you know this. We had an officer's retreat Friday night and Saturday, and all your officers, pretty much all of them, we had really good attendance. We went and um, we talked about all the things that we want to do in the coming years for the body of Christ here at Redeemer. And one of the things that we talked about and we're concerned about is, is what if we don't do this well? Because we're broken, fallen men. In fact, We're not going to do everything that we're called to do perfectly. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. But the one thing that we walked out of that time together with is all we have to do is try real hard. And God blesses our attempts. And if we stop at, we can't do this well, so we're not going to do it at all, that's pretty much what Moses is saying here to God. And what we're really doing is turning our eyes back on ourselves, not looking out to the God who created us and loved us because we're called to rely more on who God is and less on who we are. That's what it means to live by faith. Faith is an outward focused, not on ourselves, not on our circumstances, not even exactly how we're going to do this, but how God is going to use us in our weakness to accomplish his purposes. I'm not worried about your heavy mouth and your heavy tongue, Moses. I, I want to use this. I thought about this when I was sitting right there. So we got, we got some visitors over here. We got, we got some visitors over here, one or two-time visitors. I think I saw some visitors over here. And all of you are going to be tempted today to think like Moses, ooh, I have a heavy tongue and a heavy mouth, and I'm a little bit afraid to talk to these people because I don't know who they are. Well, you know what God says? I'm not worried about your heavy tongue. I'm not worried about your heavy mouth. Go talk to somebody that you don't know today so that they walk out of here and they know that God was present in this place. 
Now, Moses was reluctant with other people. He was reluctant with himself, and he definitely should have stopped there because this is where God gets mad. Verse 13. This is what, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, okay? But Moses says, God, I, I don't think I want to do this. Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Literally, send who you will send. I think it's probably just a nice way because he knows who he's talking to. He's not, he's not talking to his father-in-law. He's not talking to his wife. He knows he's talking to God. And he's basically saying, I don't want to do this. Just as politely as he can. And evidently, we know it was the wrong thing to say because verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled. God got mad. Now, when you think of anger here, don't attach your preconceived notions of anger. Don't think about you, your, your, your own anger, your spouse's anger, your friend's anger, how they get angry, because our anger, anger usually lashes out and hurts other people. Our anger usually comes from our own weakness and our own hurt and our own pain, and God doesn't have any weakness. He doesn't need anything, and you can tell that God's anger here to Moses is good because of what he does. I need you to understand this. God's anger points us to his holy love, his righteousness, his grace, and his mercy, and you can see that this is really good for Moses because I think it's the most fascinating part of the story. God's anger is different from ours. We, we, we think it's a, a big deal that, that God can turn a staff into a snake. It is a big deal. I, you can't do it. I can't do it. Right? He can make a leper clean. He can turn water into blood. Those are big deals. But I don't think it's anything compared to what God does here. Look at verses 14 and 15. Aaron, your brother, he speaks fine. He's already on the way. He's going to be glad in his heart when he sees you. You can speak with him. He can speak with you, and it's going to be all right because I'm the one who's really going to do all the talking. And you say, we just skip over that. But I wanted to title the sermon, Aaron's Already on the Way. There's a reason I did, and I'll tell you that in a minute. But I need you to stop and think about this. Why is Aaron on the way? I mean, Aaron's been, got Moses, Moses didn't even grow up with Aaron. I guess they hung out a little bit, but Moses was in Pharaoh's court and Aaron was out working in the fields. I mean, and, and why is he going to be so happy to see Moses? How's he going to even know who Moses is? Why is Aaron coming? I'll tell you why Aaron's coming. Because God already knew Moses better than Moses knows himself, and he was in need of Aaron, and God started that plan before, before Moses even knew what was happening. He knew his concerns, his fears, he knew everything so much so that before even Moses knew anything, God had a plan, and what he wants to happen is going to happen, and it's going to work. Aaron is already on the way. The last thing, evidently, that was enough because Moses doesn't say another word. God says, get your staff. That staff is important. You're going to do all these miracles with this staff, so you're going to need the staff. And then Moses goes. He goes and talks to his father-in-law and says, hey, I'm going to go check on my people. And Jethro says, go in peace. 
Moses is reluctant with other people. He's reluctant with himself. He's reluctant even with God. And he ends up doing exactly what God wanted him to do because it was right and it was good because God already had everything laid out and he knew what was going to happen. Moses is saying to the people, look, this is all about what God wanted me to do. It's not about me. He he does say, sure, I'm important because Moses is important. He does say, you need to listen to me. But he says, I'm only important because God determined in his infinite wisdom to use me so that when you listen to me, you're actually listening to God. So Moses, this reluctant deliverer used by God, he's sharing this story so that other people won't have to be reluctant because they now know that God has come to save his people. And when God makes a plan to save his people, he's going to accomplish that plan. Moses was right. He was right about the people. The people were a problem. He was kind of right about himself. He doesn't do everything perfectly. But what he had to learn was that no one, no group, nothing, not our friends, not our enemies, not even the devil himself can stop God from doing what he wants to do, and he wants to save his people from their sins. He wants that so much that even if it takes God himself becoming man, taking on flesh, being made like his people in every way except without sin, that's what he'll do. This time, though, this savior of God's people, he does not shy away from the weakness of his own people. He doesn't shy away from the strength of the devil. He doesn't even shy away from death itself. He dies for his people. He said the people were to look at Moses and know they could trust God, and we're called to look at a better Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can certainly trust this God because Jesus Christ has defeated the final Pharaoh. He's defeated our sin. He's defeated death himself. And all the things that we're concerned about, right, all the things that we're concerned about, you can say Aaron's already on the way, but you know what? You can't say Aaron's on the way because Aaron's not on the way. And even when Aaron showed up for Moses, he was still a problem for Moses. What we say is Jesus Christ is on the way. We got somebody better than Aaron. We got somebody better than Moses. Jesus Christ has come. He died. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And all we're waiting for is that day when he comes back. And he knows when it is. And all we have to do is live by faith. And we can trust him. Because he's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated sin. And we don't have to look and be reluctant with other people. God can handle that. We don't have to be reluctant with ourselves. God can handle that. We have to trust our God because he sent his son to save us from our sins. So if you're a believer here this morning, man, we just need to see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ going into battle for us. Jesus Christ dying for us. Jesus Christ being raised from the dead for us. He is our savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he is our only hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage where we see you Loving Moses, but not only loving Moses, loving your people, loving the world. You care so much about us that you have sent your son, and I pray, I do pray that he would become more real to us, that that even in our reluctance, we'd be reminded of this story and say, we can do anything that you've called us to do because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.